We have had such a fun week, and uh, my wife and I were reminiscing a little bit. Uh, this is actually the 14th Vacation Bible School that we've had the privilege uh, to lead here at Faith Church, and every one of them has been an absolute blast. This one has been a little bit different for me, though. Uh, that's because my son, Lincoln, who is my youngest, is now five, and so he's able to be a part of the full uh, VBS program. And uh, we provide nursery and toddler care for our volunteers because so many of them have young ones and we need them here working. And so uh, we provide that for the youngest. So he's been here uh, last few years. Well, ever since he was born, he's been here. Um, but uh, this was the first time that he could be a part of the program. And uh, there was one day we were doing a review game and I asked a question and Lincoln raised his hand and I called on him and he got it wrong. And he was so disheartened that he missed that question. Uh, now, don't feel bad for him, because Lincoln lives his life uh, without a care in the world. I mean, he shook it off in just a few seconds. I think I thought about it more than he did. Um, just to give you an idea of what Lincoln's character, is, his, uh, his personality is like, uh, he found a snake in the yard uh, last week, and this is how he told us. Hey, Mom, there's a snake in the yard. Just like that. I have never used that phrase before. I've always started off with, snake, snake, snake. That is always how I start off speaking of a snake. And so for him to just be like, hey, hey guys, there's a snake over here, uh, just kind of struck us funny that he is that calm, cool, and collected. Um, but, you know, it was great seeing him go through the program, and at the end of the day, I would ask him uh, what he had learned and the things that he enjoyed, and possibly uh, you've been doing that same thing with your kids. And we want you to know the kind of day your child is having. That's the reason that we post so many videos, and we put together the highlight video, and we take so many photos. Our volunteers took over 2,500 photos uh, this week. We couldn't post all of those, um, but we wanted to give you a glimpse. Because the truth is, is that as your kids get older you know less and less about them. Now, not that you don't know who they are, but you know less and less about their day, right? Because when they were first born, you knew, you knew every time they ate anything, right? And you knew every time they went to the bathroom, right? Because you had to handle that. How many of you are glad you don't know every time your kids go to the bathroom now, right? <laughs> it's also a little scary that you don't know every time they're eating now too, right? Because they get to an age where they start putting everything in their mouth. But some of you, you have kids that are older, they're out of vacation Bible school, and they're at the stage that when you pick them up after a day of school, you say, how was your day? And they go, oh, I don't know, right? <laughs> and you can't get anything out of them. You can't pull it out of them. Um, you can't get them to talk to you about what was going on. And as we get older and as our kids get older, we know less and less about what their day and what's going on. But we also get to know more and more of who they are as a person, the kind of person they're going to be, the kind of adult that they're going to grow up. Uh, to be. And our hope this week is that they would come to know that Jesus has a powerful love for them. That they would come to know that, like they sang earlier, God always has a plan. We've showed you pictures and videos, but I just want to really quickly give you a little bit of a, the lesson that we've been talking to the kids about all week. Throughout the entire week, we talked to the kids about this character in the Bible named Joseph. And Joseph's wild but true story is that his own brothers, his ten older stepbrothers, turn on him and they sell him as a slave into Egypt. When he gets there, he is wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit. He's thrown in prison. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. And then he meets someone in prison who can actually help him and that person forgets about him. 
And man, I really struggled with talking to the kids about this all week because I felt like just day after day, it was bad things that were happening to Joseph. And every day I would tell them, now guys, come back, because something good is going to eventually happen for Joseph. But it feels like it's just one calamity after another. And it might be that you're here today and you're like, I can kind of identify with this Joseph guy because that's how my life has been going. It's one calamity after another, one catastrophe. And hopefully nobody here has been sold into slavery or wrongly imprisoned, but probably all of you can identify with being forgotten or betrayed or taken advantage of. And what we taught the kids is that throughout all of this, even when Joseph was imprisoned, when he was enslaved, when he was forgotten, that God was with him and that God always had a plan. And the very end of the story of Joseph is that we find out that God puts him in a position where through a coming famine, Joseph is able to save the lives of many people. And though it looked like God wasn't showing up at all, he had always had a plan. And the end of the story is Joseph actually meets those brothers again who sold him into slavery. And he tells them that he has forgiven them because what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And man, my hope is that your, your boys and girls, even if they forget the barn, and they forget the horse who has a gold tooth, and they forget about the water slide, I hope that they'll always remember that God has a plan. Because when we know why, we can endure just about any what. That's what God gives us. God gives us a why to our what. And if you're living a life where you're constantly saying, what is happening? What is going on? I want you to know that there is a why. That God does have a purpose. That he does have a plan. And that's what he's so good at doing, of giving a why to our what. Now here in our worship services on Sunday morning, we've been going through the Gospel of John week by week. And we've been going through this life story of Jesus as told by his best friend. And in the book of John, the Gospel of John, there's this really important verse that you might be familiar with. It's John 3.16. And it's so important because it gives us the why to Jesus' what. It gives us the purpose for why Jesus came. It's the reason that he lived the life that he lived, died the death that he died, and then rose again. It gives us the why for all of that. Now, John 3.16 is one of the most familiar passages of the Bible, and for good reason, because it sums up Jesus' life, and it sums up the whole gospel narrative. It sums up even what God was doing back in Joseph's day, that God always had a plan, even in the worst of circumstances. But I'm not going to take for granted that you're familiar with John 3.16, because John 3.16 has become less familiar than ever before. In fact, uh, some of you might remember the championship football game, the college championship, uh, college football championship. Uh, I had to look. I could not believe how long ago it was. But when Tim Tebow won the championship, and that was 2009. Guys, that was, nine, that was 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. And I felt really old when I realized that. What was interesting about the game is that he wore John 316 on his eye black. A lot of players will wear their area code. So if it was one of our kids, they'd wear 812. Tim Tebow wore John 3.16 on his eye black. And because that was kind of unfamiliar, it used to be that anytime you watched a ball game, there was somebody with a big yellow poster holding John 3.16 up in the background. Because it had become kind of unfamiliar, that night, during the college football national championship, the number one search trend on Google was, what is John 
Because that passage of Scripture is not as familiar as it used to be. It's one that we're not as familiar with. So I want us to look at this passage very quickly together. We're just going to look at this one verse today. John 3.16 tells us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now this verse is so important. It's so powerful. Because it tells us that God loves us so much. Now, it might be that you're here today and you're here because your kids or your grandkids are in a program and you're not really a religious person. You don't consider yourself much of a church person. And if I can just play a little bit of armchair psychiatry, I think that typically when we are not religious that we don't enjoy thinking about God, it's because when we think about God, we think about what God must think about us. And we must think that God doesn't think we're that great. And usually the reason that we think that God doesn't think that we're that great is because we think that we're not that great. We often have this idea that what we think about ourselves is what God thinks about us. It may be that maybe, maybe you don't feel that way, but maybe you think that God thinks less of you because others think less of you. Because others think that you're not that great. But I want you to hear this, all right? What John 3.16 tells us is God does not think about you like you think about you. God does not think about you like you think about you. Earlier this year, I read The Elephant in the Room. It's a book written by Tommy Tomlinson. He is a sports writer, and he's an incredibly successful sports writer. You've probably read some of his articles if you read ESPN or if you read Grantland. and You read any of these major online sources or major magazines for sports. He does some really, really great stories. He was a staff writer for, um, for the Charlotte Observer for many years. He's been very successful in every aspect of his life except for his weight. When he began writing this book, he was over 460 pounds. He had a family that loved him. He had a job that he was successful at. He enjoyed his hobbies. But there was this one thing that he could not overcome. And in the book, he talks about that he realized that in the background of his mind, there was always a radio station playing. Now, when I was a boy, up to the age of 12, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. And ever since then, I have had um, an, an allergy to country music. And the reason that I have an allergy to country music is not that I hate country music. I know that some of you like country music. That's great. But the country music that was popular when I was uh, in Nashville and it was always playing in the background, it just, I, I have an allergy to it. It was always playing. Every store you go into in Nashville, playing country music. Well, the radio station that Tommy Tomlinson always heard in the back of his head is You Stink FM. It was his own mind telling him, you're worthless. Nobody would like you if they really knew the real you. People are embarrassed of you. Your friends hate to be seen with you. Your wife doesn't want to be seen in public with you. And these are things that were not true, but were constantly playing in the background of his mind. And what happens for many people is the way that they think about themselves or the way that others think about them and have told them things and said mean things to them, that's the way that they begin to think that God thinks about them. But this passage of Scripture makes it very clear that that's not true. Because the opening words say, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Sometimes people make fun of me because I use the word so a little too much. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped for vacation Bible school. I'm so this. I'm so that. 
Um, the Bible doesn't use the word so a whole lot. It's not something that occurs very often. But here in this passage, it does. Because it's trying to emphasize the intensity and the universality of God's love for us. He so loved who? The world. Now, this is kind of getting into the background, but Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus, who's a religious leader. And the religious leaders were very keen on the fact that they were God's chosen people. They were the Israelite nation, and either people who belonged to that nation or people who belonged to their tribe of religion, that God loved them. So for Jesus to say, for God so loved the world, and not for him to say, for God so loved Israel, or for God so loved the Hebrews, or for God so loved the religious crowd, for him to say the world, that was a big deal. You know what this communicates to us? That God loves all of us. Every one of us. Every one of us. Whether we're Israelite or not. Whether we're religious or not. God loves all of us. And that tells us that God's love for us is not based on who we are. It's based on who He is. It's on His character. God doesn't love you because you are such a good person. God loves you because of who He is and how He loves us. It's just in his nature to love us this way. So this means that God loves you in spite of the thing that you did this past week. It means that God loves you in spite of that thing that you did years ago that you hate to even think about or talk about. It means that God loves you in spite of the fact of the things that you have said about him or about another person. It means that God loves you no matter your voting record or your church attendance record or your morality record or your criminal record. God loves you. And we know that God loves us no matter who we are because this passage makes it clear God loves us right where we're at. He so loved the world. So it's important for you to realize this morning that God's love for you is not, not determined by your behavior or your nature. God loves you in spite of your nature. God loves you in spite of your behavior. God loves you for who you are. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God showed or commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us that love before we ever did anything right. He loved us while we were in the middle of our mess. Now, the rest of this verse makes it clear that there's a reason that we need to grab a hold of this love. There's a reason that we need to put our trust in him. Because the end of that verse says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Should not perish. What does that word perish mean? Well, the word, word perish means destruction. If we put our belief in him, we will not be destroyed. And last week, for those of you that are with us here this past Sunday, if you miss it, we'd love for you to go and catch up on, on, online and hear last week's message. We talked about the fact that when Jesus uses the word eternal life, he's not just talking about living forever, but he's also talking about the breadth and depth of this life. And when he talks about perishing, he's not just talking about the length of life, but also the depth and breadth of life. When we live a life separated from God, our life is not as full as it possibly could be. In fact, the whole reason that John wrote this book is so that we could live the life that God has for us, a life full of his abundant love. Now, some of you are familiar with the Bible, and so you know that there are some places in Scripture where God punishes people. 
And you're listening to me and you're like, okay, it's good that you're saying these things, but I know that God judges people and that he punishes people, and you're absolutely right. But that doesn't mean that he fails to love them. There's just one place in the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament book, where God lays out all this judgment he's going to rain out. And he's talking about the people of Moab, and he says some really strong things about it. He says the people of Moab are going to lie in their own vomit. I don't know about you, but I don't like vomit at all. But when it's my kid, I can clean it up, right? You can do that for your child. God says, because of the way that you've acted, you're going to lie in your own vomit. You're going to be destroyed. And that sounds hateful. It sounds rough. But God also says about the same people that he is mourning and weeping over Moab. It breaks his heart that they have chosen to run away from him into their own sin. See, here's what we need to realize. I told you earlier, the existence of God's love for you does not depend on your behavior or your nature. However, your experience of God's love does depend on your relationship with him. Your experience of God's love does depend on your relationship with him. As our kids grow up and they begin to have their own lives and develop their own world, we want to have that strong relationship with them. We want to continue to be close to them, to be near them. And that's what God wants for every one of us. But if we push him away, if we don't want him to be a part of our lives, we'll experience less and less of his love. Experience less and less of this life that he wants for us. You know, it's been heartbreaking for me at times to work with a couple that they're struggling and they're trying trying to work it out. But then one of, the, one of the people in the couple just has to let the other one go because the other is just bent on destruction. And it's not because they don't love them anymore, but they're being a harm to themselves or to the children. I've got people that I care about deeply in my life that I love them deeply. I, I, I want the best for them, but I know that right now I, I can't take my family around them. God loves us, but he doesn't force us to be near him. He doesn't smother us. And so his love for us is not based upon our behavior. It continues to exist. That existence of his love continues no matter our behavior, no matter our nature. But our experience of that love, our experience of that love is very much dependent on how close we are with him. And so when the Bible says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, it means that we won't wander off into our own destruction. And that's the reason that Jesus came, so that we would not wander off into our own destruction, so that we would not perish. I think every one of us can admit, hopefully all of us are at the place where we can admit that we're not perfect. Everybody in here, can we can agree on that, right? Some of you are not nodding your heads. I'm kind of worried about you really worried about your family and your spouse, what it must be like to live with a perfect person. I think we can all agree that there have been things that we have done that we know are not right. Things that we have done that we know are harmful to ourselves and the people around us. There's also been times that we've tried to be different. We've tried to live better. We've tried to make right choices, and we just kind of seem prone to keep doing the wrong thing, to keep going down the wrong path. 
And we say, how can it, how can it be? How can it be that I can finally be different? How, I, how can I finally change? How can my life turn around? And what we've told your kids all week is that God puts a why for our what. And I want you to know that Jesus gives a who to our how. How can my life be different? How can I stop living a life that leads towards perishing and destruction? Jesus, the one who loves us and always has a plan for us. Him. He is the who to that how. And that's what we've wanted to introduce to your kids this week and also to your family because he's made such a difference in our lives. The reason that group's saying, how can it be a moment ago, is because we know that in, our, in us, there is no good thing. That we are always tending towards doing the wrong thing. It was Jesus who made the difference in us. And he loves you right where you're at. But the experience of that love that you'll have will be dependent upon your relationship with him. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He invites you into one. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? We're going to close out the message here with a word of prayer.